The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. This is Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Magazine. And I'm very excited about the guest that we have today. I was fortunate a couple of weeks ago here in Kansas City to be invited to a tech conference hosted by McGladry. So I went for part of the day, and what the real attraction for me was, because, you know, I, I always weigh all of these, these possibilities against my time, and I get invited to a lot of things, and so I thought, okay, who's speaking? And when I saw that there was a futurist on the agenda, and further that he was the keynote, I thought, I've got to go. I, I, I like to hear about future trends, where we're headed, and I was not disappointed. Uh, his name is David Smith. He's a noted leader in innovation, inspirational speaker, and a successful strategic planner with more than 30 years of experience. And as we all know, too often companies and organizations focus on the past and where to go from there. Raise your hand. We've all been guilty of doing that. But we need to be looking forward. What are the trends that are coming up? And David Smith looks forward. He understands that as a futurist, one cannot examine isolated areas of business or technology without examining its interconnected relationships, its dependencies, and its impacts. David is an expert at relating emerging trends, and he has a lot of them he's going to be talking about, to specific interests of various businesses and providing a future-focused analysis of what developments and opportunities can be expected. And today, David's going to talk with us about future trends and the steps to take to be successful in this emerging environment. Welcome to the show today, David. Oh, thank you so much, Kelly. really enjoy being here. Well, I'm excited, too, as I said earlier. Um, you are a futurist. Uh, we've established that. But let's actually take a step back for just a minute and consider how the world has changed, particularly for businesses, and what those changes mean for the future of businesses. And I know that's a, a very general question, but I think we have to establish this ground, this basis before we can move on to some of the other things that I know you'll be talking about today. Well, I think businesses have fundamentally changed over the last uh, couple of decades in that today most businesses are global at launch. You know, we, we've heard the term geography, 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 but for most of our companies outside of the personal service industry, our geography is now global. I mean, what is mm -hmm. the thing that most companies do when they launch? They set up a worldwide web page. Mm-hmm. Website, and, absolutely. And that website is global, and it's it's available to anyone. I've seen small companies who, within a week of putting up their website, have received international orders that mm -hmm. just floored them, and you know yeah. they have to struggle on, boy. How do I deal with currency? How do I deal with all these things? In addition to the fact that we're global, most businesses are increasingly real-time. You know, what want do you mean to, by that? We want to see our accounting in real-time. We want to see where our business numbers are in real-time, 
the visits to our websites. We want to look at analytics in a real-time basis. When I got started in business uh, many years ago, most businesses ran their financial books once a month. Mm-hmm. Then they ran them once a week. Right. Then they ran them overnight. Now we want to be able to access it in real time, and not just things like that, but you're seeing small companies beginning to look at GIS systems so that if they have people who are on the road, they can know exactly where they are. They manage their inventory in real time. Manufacturing in in all forms and fashions is becoming a real-time industry. And we're also seeing that the source of value has been shifting for them, particularly for manufacturing. Um, Once again, manufacturing used to assemble all of its suppliers as close to where it manufactured as it could. And now we're seeing that geographically distributed, not only the supply parts, but increasingly the manufacturing itself is being done in smaller pieces distributed where they're closer to the individual customers. And because of all these things, one of the things that many of us and and your listeners learned when we went to college was the Porter value chain model, where one activity fed into the next activity, which feeds into the next activity, and it's built on long-term stable relationships. Well, in today's business environment, most businesses have very few long-term stable relationships because we have moved to a time of global real-time business where we can source what we need wherever it is and we can get it at the lowest price in the form that best meets our needs. Right. And when you're talking about uh, the the real-time, when you're talking about the the fact that relationships aren't the long-term linear, you know, things, this happens and this happens and this happens. Uh, they're so, it, it's more interrelationships. And, and talk to us about the convergence. Uh, expand on that. Well, convergence is a, a very interesting term. Uh, when I was in college way back in the 70s, one of the things we were talking about then was convergence and how convergence was going to happen in the next couple of years. Well, convergence has happened, but most of the convergence at that time and after it didn't have much impact because it was vertical convergence. And it was taking things within a vertical industry and beginning to do aggregation of them and putting different pieces together. What has been tremendously dynamic and has changed the way small, medium-sized, and large businesses are working today is we've began to see now the capability to do horizontal convergence. Mm -hmm. And what horizontal convergence is, is we are seeing that the walls around vertical industries are, are becoming transparent. And that because we have ubiquitous communications, we have ubiquitous computation, and everything is digital, I can easily move things across all of these industries horizontally. So at the product design level, at the construction manufacturing level, at the implementation level, the distribution level, 
the the customer level, the financial pieces, all of these areas I can move between these vertical industries horizontally. But what this is doing, particularly for small and medium-sized business, is it's creating what is called new white space. In white new space, white space? New white space. And new white space is like a blank, blank sheet of paper where it's a new business opportunity where there are not competitors. Mm-hmm. It's a new way to begin to go and find new niches because I can take things that, for example, might be on healthcare, and I can deploy it over in retailing, or I can take it and move it and deploy it in a financial service industry and in a way seeing, that's not there. Yeah, and we're, we are seeing a lot of that going on, as a matter of fact. Now, one of the other things, though, that you mentioned when I heard you talk before is that, yes, all of these opportunities, this new white space, although I didn't remember you calling it that before, but I love that term, this new white space that uh, is available, these new opportunities, these new niches, uh, the the one thing that has, you have to keep in mind is that because things are happening so quickly, the, you know, the product development, the product cycles are compressing, and you spent some time talking about that. So there's not as much room for, for errors. You have to get it up more quickly. You have to have the resources to get it up. It's, it's not going to cut it too much anymore if you try to do a slow rollout. And can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, you're a thousand percent right. You know, technology innovation is now one of the most important drivers for competitive success. Because most firms own, earn over a third of their sales on products developed in the last five years. And just look at the products around you, how fast they go. You know, your notebook computer, you know, its average life cycle today is less than three years. You know, I would actually tell you most computer hardware life cycles today are now less than 24 months. Software. You know, software has gone to where its life cycle is really about a year today when you look at how upgrades and things go in new versions. You see that even in things like home appliances and others, and one of the most dynamic ones is just looking at your smartphone and your cell phones. You know, if you think about what the life cycle is for that, and you realize it's measured in months and not even a year. Right. So you don't have a whole lot of time to get it to do the R and D, get it out there and make your money on it before something makes it obsolete. No, hundred so. percent right, because if you go back and look at things like television, radio, air travel, telephone, their time to hit a market penetration was measured in decades. You know, it took radio over 15 years to hit 30% of the market. The automobile to hit 50% of the market took almost 40 years. You know, that you can't just, have that type of time today. That that just seems so ancient <laughs> when you think about, like as you said, the smartphones, the appliances that we have. It's, it's, and let's talk about that for a minute. You took us through an interesting exercise to get the morning rolling uh, when I heard you a couple weeks ago, and that is actually kind of set us up. You, you asked, asked us, what is technology? What's your definition of technology? And nearly everybody in the room pointed to their smartphones or to the projector that was uh, – showing your slides or to something that 
was a, a house for technology, so to speak. You had a different definition of technology. Can you tell us what that is and why the difference in your definition versus what we as an audience were offering is so important? Oh, I, I really can. I mean, I will start with a very simple. If you look at just that Webster, it has four definitions of technology. It's the science of the practical industrial arts. It's an applied science. It's a method for achieving a practical purpose. Or This last one's kind of complex. It's the totality of the means employed to provide the objects necessary for human sustenance and comfort. What's mm -hmm. interesting is none of those say technology is a thing. Right. But most of us approach it as a thing. My favorite definition of technology is it's the application of knowledge to achieve a result. And if you begin to think about that as part of your planning paradigm and the way that you are looking at how to use things within your organization, it, it makes a big difference. And it's actually underscored by a question I asked the group uh, the other day, and that there was a survey done at the end of last century of the most appreciated technology of the prior 100 years. And it was asked of several million people. You know, this was an era where the airplane, commercial airplane came about, we went to the moon, the computer was invented, internet, a lot of advances in medicine, and a lot of things. But the top five most appreciated technologies globally were the microwave oven, the okay. universal remote control, garage door openers, home telephone answering machines, and the ear thermometer. Amazing. And, but that just underscores that it really is the application of knowledge to achieve a result that has an impact. That really right. is the key to how we use technology and particularly in places where our technology choices, like in small and medium-sized business, is so important for our success and the innovation that we have to do within this market segment. And so, so why has tech innovation in particular, and some people would argue that there is no other innovation, uh, why has it become the most important driver for competitive success? Why in when there's so many other things out there, uh, is it the tech innovation that sets sets the people apart or companies apart competitively? It's not, I'm just going to throw a couple things out there, it's not customer service. It's not some of these other things that you hear so much about quality or pick one, but it's technological innovation. Why is it that that's the, the differentiator for competitive success? Well, technology innovation has the potential to give you greater margins. Mm -hmm. then you begin to look at customer service and some of the others. Now, I actually would argue for you that customer service, when it's done well, is an extension of technology. That's true. Because technology doesn't have to be a thing. Because right. if you look at some of the limits, some of the big challenges are the difficulty of distribution, the problems of design, the importance of organizations and how those can work to achieve the goals for your organization, which is to satisfy the carebouts of your customer segments, to satisfy the carebouts of the employees, to satisfy the carebouts of the organizations you have chose to partner with to be successful. Yeah. And, and as you begin to do those and understand those carebouts, 
That is how you craft solutions that advance the organization in innovation where there is a ability to get a return on your investment. Because today that return on investment has become so short that you cannot really make as many mistakes now as you could a decade ago or if you particularly could 20 years ago. Sure. So is it fair to say, given the definition of technology that you proposed and some of the examples that you just gave with the customer service and the distribution points and so forth, is it fair to say then that at its core that today every company is a technology company? Well, I think in many places there's technological elements in most companies today. I mean, you you cannot take an order almost today without applying technology in almost any industry. Right. You know, you, you even see the people who come and cut your grass or come and clean your home. The personal services industry, they are using technology in very dramatic ways. You, you, you go and uh, have your car worked on. Boy, that is a technological experience. <laughs> because, I mean, your car has more computer power in it than an old supercomputer does. Wow. Most of them today are networked inside the car, and it's beginning to be where most cars have networks which extend outside the car wirelessly. Right. So you you, you, you see that beginning to change the whole definition of how technologies begin to use. Yeah, and here's something that you talked about, too, that I found fascinating, and that is uh, – we're quickly reaching the limits of many of the technologies in wide use today. And I had never actually thought about that. But you, you mentioned uh, what Moore's those law. are, why, and what, what's going to replace them. Mm-hmm. Well, Moore's Law, which is Gordon Moore was one of the developers of the semiconductor chip and one of the founders of Intel Corporation. And he has a law that says chip density doubles every three years, and that has what's driven the electronic age for many, many years. Well, that particular law of the microchips is coming to an end around 2017 because the generation of chips at that time, the lines inside of it are going to be about two atoms wide, and you can't prevent electrons from jumping that. You can't get prevent power from interfering with communications heat, and a lot of other things are going to cause the problem there. So the chip, as we have known it for the last 20 years, is going to go away in that form. Now it's going to be replaced with new approaches using silicon, just not with the same scaling factors, but you're going to see new types of computation come out. You're going to see biological computing, which uses, for example, strands of RNA as the computer engine and the storage engine. Your strands of RNA in your body do a lot of your computing. You're going to see quantum computing, which uses a very complex systems, and the interaction between them is a, a computation approach. You're going to see optical computing using photons of light as a computing engine. And we're even going to go back to the extreme early days of computing 
where Babbage's loom was one of the first computer devices, and it was an analog device that wasn't very precise. Right. But there's some problems today where fuzzy computing can be good. It doesn't need to be as precise. And you're going to see things like analog computing come back and be used increasingly more for fuzzy problems. So that's just five years from now. Uh, and we know this is going to happen. Uh, I assume that there's some of that white space that you were talking about and that people are already working towards this day because they're not going to just wake up some morning in 2017 and say, oh, my electrons are jumping across the the lines or whatever you called them, and, and what are we going to do about it? People are actively working towards this now, I take it. They are, and there's many roadmaps out in working to these future approaches. There's a tremendous amount of science and research being done in these areas today. So for small business owners who are looking at their technology plans, which, you know, to think five years out on your technology plan is how can you even do that? But what should small business owners be thinking about uh, with with the notion or with the um, realization that technology that they're using right now, it's not just going to be improved because that's what we've been used to seeing the last several years. It's an improvement of what we've been using. You're talking about some radically different things. Is there anything that small businesses can be thinking about right now, about how what, what how that's going to change their daily operations or, or uh, well, they, they should begin to become aware. Okay. You know, this is not a place where it would be good to sit, sit your head in the sand and hide from it. Because it is going to happen, but for most small and medium-sized businesses, you're going to see the large companies bear the greatest brunt of that change, you know, much like you did with the Y2K mm-hmm. problem. Because you saw the big businesses and their suppliers to them begin to do most of the work, which then tripled down to small and medium-sized business. Now, were there still problems in small and medium-sized business around Y2K and other things like that? Yes, there were some. But those were companies who just totally ignored it. Right. And didn't do the updates, didn't begin to look at the other elements. That is why, particularly with the importance of innovation, Small businesses, medium-sized businesses need to take some time to look at the future. You know, you, you, you understand that in the areas of security on a small, medium-sized business. You've got to deal with that every week. Actually, I want to tell you, you need to deal with it every day, and you right. kind of understand that in security. Well, you need to begin to put some of that same thought processes into where some of these other technology is heading. You know, you've seen small and medium businesses surprised by the cloud. And surprised by the cloud? Surprised by the cloud. That yeah. You know, I'm used to having my data right here where I can touch it, mm-hmm. where I can reach it. And what do you mean I'm going to put my data and my programs where I don't even know where they are? Right. Well, you know, that particular example is a bad one for a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. One of the things I tell businesses is never sign the first service-level agreement a cloud provider gives you. Why is that? Well, you want to, number one, know where your data is. 
you want to be able to get copies of your data. And most service level agreements from cloud providers don't allow you that. You know, I was dealing actually with a state agency earlier that had entered into a cloud computing agree agreement for its health and human services data. And as we got in there with that state agency, we found that their data actually lived over in India. <laughs> and yeah. the information privacy laws in India are nothing, nothing, nothing like our information privacy laws here. In right. fact, that state agency was in violation of federal rules that said they must have physical control of their data. Which they obviously didn't. And it they obviously didn't. Indian. That's right. So are you so so are you saying, I just want to be clear here, are you saying that um small business owners should not participate in the cloud because of these issues or that these are negotiable issues? These are negotiable issues with most okay. cloud providers. You know, okay. the, the place I would caution small and medium-sized business is they just need to examine what mission-critical applications they put into the cloud. Mm -hmm. Because every day across the United States, there are thousands of Internet outages. Yes. And when the Internet goes down, either it might be your local coverage, your connection, or a coverage at the other end of the cloud provider, you cannot get to that application. Right. So, so some cloud providers have redundancies built in where uh, their primary servers might be in one part of the country and they have backup servers in another part of the country for the very, well, one of the reasons you just described, so that if in one area things go down uh, because of a storm, because of whatever it is, you still have, you know, a thousand miles away, uh, you still have something that is uh, turning away. Which works on that side, but by the same token, you need to do some of the same type of things on the local side if you move all your mission-critical things to the cloud. For example, at my office here in Austin, Texas, I have two different providers from different ways providing uh, fiber optics-based Internet into our office, plus we have a very high bandwidth wireless connection to a system that's a number of miles away right. where it's using a total different data path mm -hmm. than the other two. Yeah, and that is something that, I mean, okay, I've got my I've got my Time Warner cable, I've got my Everest, I've got, or SureWest is their call now, I've got whatever I'm set. And you don't even think about, maybe I should have them both coming in, and the one one thing though is that some in some places there's no option. There's one provider for the the community, but where there is a choice, uh, where there is that option, then as you say, build in that redundancy. And, and you might have one of them being very high speed. Yes. And you might have one that's not very high speed, but still gets yeah. you connectivity. And I would look also at your wired providers and your wireless providers. But the key thing is to make sure they're not all on the same backbone. Mm -hmm. And that's one yeah. of the questions that small and medium-sized business can ask your telecom providers. You know, Do you share a backbone with Time Warner? Do you share a backbone with AT&T? Do you share a backbone with the wireless providers? 
It's the same type of questions you would ask the cloud providers as well, too, as you look at their service level agreement. Those are the smart questions that a small and medium-sized business should consider as they're looking at where this future technology is going. And, you know, you're seeing increasing in, uh, places where companies are merging together. And that's going to make these type of risks even more critical in the future because you're going to have fewer and fewer choices. Right. That's very true. Uh Let's talk for a minute about cloud computing's future. It, it may seem like we're getting the cart ahead of the horse here because there are so many businesses still have not embraced cloud computing, worried about outages, about security issues, uh, the list goes on. But let's take a peek into the future beyond cloud computing. What do you see happening next? Well, one of the most interesting trends I look at, and it's one that kind of makes my head hurt, is if you look at last year, over 99% of all the computer chips that these folks like IBM and Intel and Samsung and all of them manufactured, over 99% of those chips did not go into computers. Where did they go? They went into things like your car. Mm -hmm. They went Back into... Computers into vacuum cleaners, they went into the next generation refrigerators, into your smartphones, into the other devices like in your office. You know, most of your copier, printers, scanners are, are built all around computer chips. Right. You know, and, and that is actually what's going to begin to come after cloud computing. It's going to begin to use all of these devices that have ubiquitous computation in them. They are communicating, and, and communication has become ubiquitous again. And they're digital. So I can take all those devices, and I can use them however I want to. And not just for computing, but most of those devices have sensors in them. And those sensors can do a lot of things. You know, just think about your smartphone. You know, I bet you the majority of your listeners use their smartphone for voice as one of the smallest things. Probably, I would agree. It, but then they use it for all these other things. And think about those sensors in it. You know, it has a GPS in it. It has a motion detector in it. I can tell orientation with the accelerometer in it. It has a acoustical sensor in it called a microphone. Mm -hmm. They have cameras. And, you know, I can just put a few bits of code on your smartphone. And I can use all those sensors as well as using the computer that's in your phone as well when you're not using it because most phones are connected not only by the cellular network but also by Wi-Fi networks. So I have some pretty decent-sized communication pipes with that. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting, all those different things you said it could do. When, when somebody goes missing these days but they find their phone, uh, one of the first things they do is take it apart looking at what have they been searching on the Internet, uh, the GPS in it, and, and try to find clues to their location because it does have the capability of all that. Of, of revealing all that about the person. But the bigger thing that you're talking about is being able to tap into all of those and use them in a network. You gave an example 
um, at the conference, being able to walk into a parking lot and actually using all the sensors that are in a, in the cars in the parking lot and creating your own network. I found that very fascinating. Yeah, to create your own supercomputer network because mm-hmm. every one of those cars has more computer power in it than a Cray 4 supercomputer. And most of those computers do not get turned off when you turn the engine off. And so if you put the right software on them and tied them into a local area network, which they're increasingly having Wi-Fi, hidden Wi-Fi in the cars, you can do a lot of computing on those while they sit out in the parking lot, you know, your eight hours or so a day. Sure. So let me just ask you, though, how easy is it to do that for, I mean, is that something that, you know, you have to have access to the car, and or can you literally, can somebody who knows what they're doing literally walk into a parking lot and create that network? Uh, it just you, seems like... You would have to have simple. access to the car today. Okay. Because right. most of those are hidden networks. Okay. And you would have to put code in it to allow you mm-hmm. to share it. Okay, so nobody who's listening needs to be worried about their car being commandeered while they're at work today. No, no, not today. Now, you're beginning to see cars that you're going to see those possibilities down the road. You know, you're now seeing ads on television about cars that are connected to the Internet all the time. Right. And, you know, it says, I have Google Earth on it for my directions. I have the ability to go and use Foursquare so that people from my car know where I am, and other things like that. Now, with that capability, that type of security and firewalls are going to become necessary. Absolutely. Well, what you've just described is a migration of communication from people person to person to person to machine where we're talking into a device or we're engaging with, say, an ATM to give us dispense cash to us. And to machines talking to machines, and so there's been that that and, and, evolution. And well over half of the communications on the internet is things talking to things. Yeah. So just to wrap up here, we're actually already over time, but I want to keep going. Just to wrap up here, where are the new growth opportunities for the small businesses, uh, the growth-minded small businesses who are looking for opportunity right now? Where are those growth opportunities in the next, say, three to five years? Well, you, you need to look at places where you can use web social activities to drive your customer and employee interactions. That That's going to be a very big growth area. You need to look at places where you can create opportunities for new customers that are away from your uh, brick-and-mortar shop because you have the capability increasingly to do that because mm-hmm. geography matters less and less today. Right. You know, you, you've got a lot of things your companies can do to make them more efficient. You, know, you can look at virtualization of some of your computer resources. You can look at green IT. You can begin to look at how cloud and the emerging parts of cloud are going to drive value for them. One of the things that your small and medium-sized business should look at is an emerging technology class called a cloud appliance, which gives you some local storage and local uh, computation in your company, but all the management of it is done up in the cloud because it's the people cost 
that drives up the cost of local competition. Competition mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is one of the dramatic things that cloud has begun to address. And, and finally, you need to begin to look at places where this universal competition, computation, connectivity, and this whole digital interoperability is creating a new standard. So think as a small, medium-sized business. If what I am doing for my prime marketplace, can I morph it? Can I move it to other marketplaces where I just need to create some more domain expertise, but I can use my existing technologically-based systems to dramatically shorten that development time and be able to turn it into return for my company? Fascinating information today, David. And if anybody wanted to find out more about what you do, perhaps bring you in as a speaker, um, send you an email, how would they get in touch with you? Well, my email is dsmith, D-S-M-I-T-H, at H-B-M-G-I-N-C, H-B-M-G-Inc.com. And our website is just H-B-M-G-Inc.com. And, and HBMG is actually a company that you, you go out and you talk to companies about these different trends, find out where they can apply them to their businesses and actually see the new opportunities and the new growth uh, possibilities for the companies. So right. you consult with companies on that. We do. We do work for over half of the Fortune 100, all of our government major agencies in the Department of Defense, and it's a fair amount of medium-sized business. Sure. So, again, if you're interested in finding out more about David, what his company does, you can go out to hbmg.com. David, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. It's been uh, very insightful, to say the least. Looking forward to see uh, where some of these predictions go. appreciate it so much, and thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.